Today I just want to talk about something that's uh, such an important question that you're going to be asked over and over in your life, whether you realize it or not, you're always being asked this question, and that is, who are you? So the question actually of who am I? The goal today is I want to I go through the scripture and begin to show you who you are in Christ, so that way when the world comes up against you and says, who are you, you can say, well, how much time do you got? Because I am loved, I am redeemed, I am chosen by God, I am victorious, I'm an overcomer, I'm more than a conqueror. You know, the, the, this idea is that how much time do you have so that I can tell you who I am in Christ? You know, and when, you're, when we're asked who we are in our lives today, if you're asked, we might have many different answers. You might say, I'm a teacher, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. You know, I, our, who we are is often, uh, we try to identify who we are by what we do. You know, I'm a, what you do in this life. And the truth is, what you do is not who you are. Matter of fact, you'll see people that, that uh, uh, tie their self-worth and identity to what they do or actually live miserable lives. You see all these big businessmen that who they are is wrapped in, up in what they do. And one, it destroys everything around them. All they have is what they do. And then finally... They have to stop doing it, right? What happens if everything that you are is wrapped up in your job and you have to retire? I mean, what do you do? I mean, Frank, I was reading a, a, a story about Frank Sinatra. Was, uh, Nancy Sinatra I think, was talking about her dad. And she saw as he got older, he was having a really hard time remembering things. Age was getting the best of him, and he's going to concerts. And he couldn't do concerts without a teleprompter anymore. He couldn't remember the words to songs that he wrote and sang millions of times. And he was, his health was really deteriorating. And he kept saying, I have to keep making more money. I have to keep, uh, you know, just making this money. And, and in a way, he was trying to be noble. He wanted everybody to be taken care of. But his health was fading. He couldn't do what he was doing. And everything that he was was wrapped up in getting up on that stage. That was his entire self-worth. And when he couldn't do it, he didn't know what to do. And, you know, the interesting thing about it was is as she said that that wealth that he left has caused more strife in their family. There's been more fighting over that wealth than, than they could have ever imagined. Actually, what he thought he was doing a good thing actually began to destroy his family after he left as it destroyed him. If that's where your worth is, you're going to have some serious issues. And to be a successful Christian, we have to be able to answer this question, who am I? There should be no timidity, no doubt, no fear. We can have confidence and boldness in who we are in Christ because it's not us, right? It's Christ. And he is who he is. And there's nothing that can change that. And ultimately, who you are determines what you do. If you are a businessman, if that's what you relate with, then everything you do has to do with your job. If you're a son of disobedience, which is what we were before we came to Christ, everything we do, even if we didn't realize it, had to do with furthering the kingdom of the devil. Everything that we did supported his cause. But if you're a Christian, you have Christ living inside of you, everything you do will flow from who you are in him. And it's not a matter of, of trying to do these things on your own. It's not a matter of trying to, to live this godly religious life in your own power, but who you are will actually begin to, to seep out of you and people will see who you are, or who, what you do will be into to show who you are in Christ. Amen? So let's take a look at a couple scriptures of where the identity of who you are is questions. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, 
It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit and into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What's the question the devil asked him? If you are the Son of God, he begins to question his identity. He said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We begin to see a pattern here already. How does Jesus answer who he is? with what he finds in the Word of God. He begins to, the Word of God begins to tell Jesus who he is. And then the devil took him into the holy city and had, had him stand in the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, once again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against stone. Now Jesus, now the devil's getting the picture, like, well, I'll throw some scripture at you. But Jesus is like, man, you got it all wrong. You're reading the word of God and you're, and you're twisting it and you're trying to make it your own when it's not. And it says, Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship, you, worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister him. Now this is a little bit different one. He says, he says, Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, All these things I will give you. You know when the devil comes to you, one, he questions who you are. He says, You're not who you say you are. And the next thing he says, he tries to give you stuff that's already yours. You know, the, Jesus, the world was already Jesus's. God gave it to him. But the devil is saying, well, no, if you listen to me, I'll give you that. And have you ever experienced that in this life? Did you ever have a time when, when, when the devil says, go ahead and drink this alcohol because it'll give you peace. It'll make you happy. Go do these things because it'll make you happy. When God has already given you those things in him, it's something that you already possess. But the devil's going to try to trick you and say, no, I have something. I'll give it to you when you already possess that in Christ. <clears throat> And like I said earlier, who you are determines what you do. Jesus knew who he was, and he began to speak the word to the devil. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it's, uh, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You ever read scripture like that and go, man, I was that once. Does that mean I'm not getting in? But I think the interesting thing is in verse 11, Paul says, such were some of you. You know, he's talking to the Corinthian church. They're doing these things. So they're actually participating in these things. He's saying that, look, these people don't get into the kingdom of God. He says, but such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. He says, such were some of you. Why do you keep acting like something that you're not? He wasn't telling them that if they continue to act this way, they won't get into heaven. What he was saying is, that's not who you are anymore. Start acting like who you are. You are the redeemed. You are washed. You've been made brand new. Act that way. And then we see another situation here in Acts 19, 13 through 16, where, where who they are is called into question. And this is... This, funny, this story kind of cracks me up. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, 
were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So we got these seven priests, seven guys get whooped by one dude, get all their clothes stripped off and just booted out of the house to run around. I mean, that's in that culture, that is incredibly shaming and, and that's some serious business. But how does this come about? First off, it says, they attempted to name over those who had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they say, I adjure you by Jesus by whom Paul preaches. That is not the words of someone who identifies with Christ. They're like, I adjure you by by that guy that somebody else preaches, by that other guy, by that other thing. These guys weren't identified with Christ. They were just trying to take advantage of a situation. And the devil's thing, when you, when you try to take authority of the devil, this is the question that you're going to get asked. I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Now, this question used to kind of scare me. We were, when we were first moving out here, there was a couple that uh, uh, came to Living on Family Church and lived on this side of town, and we were going to try to get connected with them. And ultimately, they ended up going back to their old church and working with their pastor there. But as we began to speak to them, their father, who, uh, who was living with them, was old. But as we began to talk to him, there was definitely some demonic activity going on. There's definitely some, uh, I mean, this was going to take an act of faith to go in there and start casting some stuff out because there was obviously this kind of activity going on. And I remember going to my pastor because I'm reading this verse and I'm like, what if I go to him and say, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. And they go, well, we know Jesus, but who are you? You know, and, and, and that scared me for a bit. And he says, don't worry, they know who you are because I'm identified with Jesus. They know who I am because I've been born again and I'm a child of God. And honestly, when that question gets asked, if they ever say, but who are you? I've taken the time to learn who I am. I've spent time in the Word, and we're going to continue after this, and we're going to look at who we are in Christ. So when the enemy comes to you and says who you are, you can have an answer. You can have an answer for him. And ultimately, if you're not in Christ, when the devil comes at you, he's got your number. He's got your ticket. He will overpower you. He will beat you down and kick you out in the streets naked. There's... The, the world cannot stand up to the power of the enemy because they have no power of their own. We have the power of Jesus inside of you. So just remember, the question is going to be asked no matter who you are, but do you have an answer? So let's go ahead and look at the answer that we have because we have Jesus inside of us. First thing we have to understand is that we are chosen. In 1 Peter 2, 9-10 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First, you understand that God chose us. From the foundation of the earth, you were chosen by God. And there's power in knowing that, that you didn't have to fight for God's favor. You didn't have to, to struggle to gain his appreciation for you. But God chose you from before you were ever born. And then he says that we are a chosen race. The people of God, God's children, the entire human race, were chosen by God. And it says that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You know, there's some, something really amazing that we are a priesthood. You know, it talks about that, uh, uh, that in the 
the Old Testament, the Jews had a priesthood. They would have, they had a, the, the, Le, the Levites were the priests, and they went to them to seek God. The, the men and women of the Old Testament, they couldn't seek God on their own. Matter of fact, if they tried to talk to God, and they were successful in getting into the Holy of Holies, they would just die. I mean, they, they couldn't be in God's presence because they weren't, they weren't clean. They weren't ready. God cannot coexist with something that's not pure and holy. And they didn't have that without Jesus. But now that we have Jesus, not, we don't have a priesthood. We are a priesthood. We can go and talk to God ourselves. We can speak to him. He has chosen us to make us a royal priesthood, a holy nation to speak to him because we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And then it says that, that we may proclaim the excellencies, excellencies, excellencies of him. So we may proclaim, or he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once, we were not a people, but we now are a people. We had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. You know, mercy is, is not receiving something that you deserve. You know that, that the death that Jesus died, that's something that we deserve. The punishment that he took, that's something that we deserve. The lashes on his back, the, the shame, the persecution, we deserve that. But he paid the price for us. He took it for us so that we wouldn't have to. And we find that God chose us. You know, from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, you remember when, when, when Adam and Eve, they took the fruit? From the beginning, even after that, we find that God is calling out after Adam. Adam, where are you? God has always been looking for us. He's always chosen us. In Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, it says, In love, he predestined us to adoptions as son through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Predestination is a hotly contested topic in the Christian world. There's this idea that that uh, there may only be a small amount, a certain amount of people that are predestined to be Christians, and they're going to be Christians no matter what, because they kind of misview this word predestined. They, they think that they're going to be Christians no matter what, and they're those that aren't predestined, and they're not going to be. And there's nothing they can do. If you're not predestined by God to be a Christian, then you can't become a Christian. And actually, I agree with them. Our differences lie in who's predestined. I believe that God predestined the entire human race to be, uh, to be adopted as sons. Now, if God had not done that, if he had not predestined us, if he had not uh, predetermined that, then, then without the Holy Spirit working inside of us, we can't become sons of God. But I've, we've been predestined, and this word predestined means to ordain beforehand or to predetermine. You know, we were predetermined by God to be sons and daughters of God from the beginning of time. Another translation would be to be uh, not, not predestined, like destiny, like we see destiny as this unavoidable thing that, you know, your destiny is, is your fate or your destiny. And that's not how it's being used here. This is, this is predetermined or foredetermined. God determined that we would be his children before the beginning of time. And the only thing that can stop that from happening, happening is not accepting that free gift and choosing not to, ultimately. You know, it's, uh, the saying goes that God's not sending anybody to hell. People are going there of their own free will. It's a choice that they make. The next thing we understand is that I am alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know, mercy is, is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting something that you didn't deserve. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in, G- in Christ Jesus. You know, since the fall, man died at that time when, when, when Adam took that, that bite of the apple, the bite of that fruit, uh, man died spiritually on the inside. We have been dead in our transgressions, all of mankind, since that point in time. And at this Activate conference, there's this pastor, his name is Billy Hall, and I think I've mentioned him before, but he was uh, serving, I think, nine life sentences for murder. I mean, he, he uh, went to prison for, for killing somebody, nine life sentences. He was not getting out. And he gave his life to Christ through one of the prison ministries, and he just gave everything he had. And, and it's a miracle today that... Uh, with nine life sentences. He's out, he's planting churches in Ethiopia. He's got a vision for Ethiopia and he's planting tons of churches and reaching people for Christ. And the fact that he's not in prison anymore is an absolute miracle. But he says, you know, I was a dead man. Literally, the, the block that he was in, they called him the dead man walking. They were nine life sentences. You have no life. You are the dead man walking. And he said, you know something? Dead men have no options. And before... When we were dead in our transgressions, we had no options. We had no options for hope, no options for peace, no options for love. We were dead men walking just like Pastor Billy Hall, but it wasn't until he gave his life to Christ, and it's not until we accept Christ into our our hearts that we now have options. Because we were made alive by Christ. You know, we, we look at, at, at life as this, well, no, I'm physically alive. We see these, these people that are physically alive, but internally they're dead. Some don't even realize it, but some do. They understand there's a hole and they're missing something. And we know that Jesus said that I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. You can only have life through Jesus Christ. And just know today when the devil asks who you are, you can say, I am alive because of Christ living inside of you. Next thing we need to understand is in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is that I am brand new. You're not who you used to be. And this is something that, as Christians, we absolutely have to get a hold of. We have to understand that who we were is dead and gone. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you guys in Christ this morning? Amen. He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is one you should have highlighted in your Bible. You should start memorizing. You should have it up on the wall. Understand that you are brand new. And it's kind of like those, you guys have ever seen those flow charts? It's got a big question at the top and the little arrow's coming out. Yes, go this way. No, go this way. Basically, it's, it's like this. With Christ, there's two answers. Are you in Christ? Yes. Then you are a new creature. You were made brand new. You are not who you used to be. The old person that you are is dead and gone, and you are new in Christ. And if you go no, then you're a son of disobedience. The, you are dead in your transgression. You are still that old person that has no hope and no future. And something I'm saying is we're not, I think sometimes we get this idea, and it's kind of what religion does, is that, is that we're refurbished. You know, we're not brand new, we're refurbished. We've been sent back to the factory and fixed up a little bit so we work again. We've been cleaned up. You know, we, we're doing all the right things now. That's what religion does. Religion just gives you a set of rules so you look good on the outside. You're cleaned up, doing the right thing. You're just refurbished. But how many of you guys would be a little upset if you went and ordered something brand new from Amazon and you get it and it's got a ding on it and you know it's been used, it was just fixed up? Would you be upset if you went for something new and it was refurbished? You know that somebody else used it, it's not what it's supposed to be. You didn't get what you paid for. 
That's not what you are today. You're not refurbished. You've not been previously used. You're not fixed up from who you are. You are literally brand new. You're not repaired, but you're recreated. Who you were, that old person was ripped out of you and a brand new spirit was put inside of you. You are brand new. Amen? Next, you can answer, I am holy. And Ephesians 1, 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Here's that language again, that we were chosen by God. It says, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Holiness is to be set apart before God. That's, that's what holiness is, is to be set apart to be used by God. And then it also says that we are blameless. You know, you, know you can stand before God with a clear conscience. You can stand before God without any guilt and shame. Even, even directly after you've sinned. If you repent, you turn away from that sin that you were doing, you look back towards God, and you just say, thank you, Father, that I'm forgiven. You can stand there blameless. He's not holding you against you. Because the punishment that you deserve for that was already paid by Jesus. It was paid in full. You can't pay for it anymore. You can't feel guilty enough to make yourself feel better. You can stand before him blameless with a clear conscience. And it's not because we live well, it's not because we do well, but it's because that price has already been paid. And then in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were your lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what are we ignorant of? He says, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. What were we ignorant of? Well, we were ignorant that, that God had set us free. We were ignorant of our freedom in Christ. You know, when, when we didn't have Jesus, we didn't know there was a way. We were ignorant of power that we could have. We were ignorant that God could save us and pull us out of these things that were holding us down. That's what our ignorance was. We were ignorant of the power of God being able to move in our lives. We were ignorant that God loved us. We were ignorant that God chose us and that he cared about us. But as obedient children, those who have been saved by grace, says don't be conformed by who you were. Just like Paul said, such were some of you. Why are you acting like who you're not anymore? And it says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Now, I find interesting is that this is kind of separated out. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So, and then it says, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I think a lot of us read this, and we see that because God is holy, we have to follow these set of rules to be holy. We have to do these things. And uh, how, many, how many of you guys have thought that I have to fix what I'm doing to be holy? I have to fix these things in my lives in order to be holy before God. I know I used to think that. I remember I used to... I'd, I'd lay down at night, and, and I would pray, and I'd begin to ask God, Lord, please forgive me for smoking, forgive me for doing, chewing, forgive me for looking at the girls, forgive me for all this stuff. And it was this laundry list of things. God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. And then I'd, wake, I'd feel good for a second, then I'd wake up the next morning, and I'd do all the stupid stuff again. And then, rent, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Lord, please forgive me. The same things the next night. And it's, but I would try. You know, I, the next day I'd get up, and I would try to do the right thing, and I would fail. And then I'd lay out my laundry list of sins again. And I had a breakthrough when I realized that I'm already forgiven of these things. But not only am I forgiven, 
but I ha- I'm free from these things. We talked about this last week, that we're actually free from these things. You know, we try to fix ourselves to be holy, and if you try to fix yourself, you know, when you, you ever heard somebody say, I'm, I'm still working on it, I'm still working on this sin? That's one of the worst things you can ever say. Because if you're working on it, you're going to fail. But what you can do is, is understand that you are free in Christ. You begin to repeat those, those scriptures that, that says, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's not a command, act holy because I'm holy. What he's saying is that you are holy because I am holy. Not be holy. It's, do you understand the difference that I'm trying to, to get out here? You're not, you're not holy because you're told to be and you're acting that way. You don't act holy to be holy, but you are holy because God says you're holy. With his son, you are holy. And it's, it's not a dictation of how we act, but actually who we are. It is our identity in Christ. We are not holy because we live right. We are holy because Christ made us that way. Amen? So that's another one of those answers you can give the devil. I am holy. I am redeemed is the next thing you can tell him. Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. In him who we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. So to redeem something is simply to buy it or to, to pay it off. When you redeem something, you're, you're paying for it. You're paying the price. And this picture that we have here is if you were sitting in a courtroom and you're standing before the judge and he lays out your, your laundry list of things that you've done, you know, from the big stuff, the big sins, you know, murder, stealing, killing, to, to covetousness. You know, covetousness is one of those sins that if, if God didn't tell us, we probably wouldn't even have known it was a sin. It's a sin to want what somebody else has to covet what they have. So you stand before the judge and he lays out all of your all of the charges brought against you. And if we were to stand before the judge with our charges brought against us, the verdict is guilty, right? I think even all of us that even people that say I've lived a good life, there's some guilty in there somewhere, you know, to be a good person. There's guilty somewhere. And the judge slams down the gavel and says guilty. But then the judge gets up and he takes off his robe and he walks around the corner and he pulls out his wallet and he pays the fine. He goes and says, I'll do the time for you. And he says, he goes and spends the time that you had to pay in prison. When it says that we have redemption through his blood, that's what it means. That we stood before the judge and we were considered guilty. But then Jesus went and took out his wallet and paid the fine. He paid what was, what was to be paid. And and truthfully, you know, the wages of sin is death. Death is what had to have been paid. And Jesus paid that ultimate price for us. So we have been redeemed. So when the devil tries to tell you that you're not redeemed, that you have something to pay for, that you should feel guilty or feel really bad, you can tell them, no, I am redeemed in Christ. And then it says, according to the riches of his grace. Grace is that everything that Jesus accomplished through his God, everything God accomplished through his son is grace. And it's something that that we're giving that we didn't deserve, but he gave it anyway. But it's according to the riches of his grace. And I thank God it's according to his riches. Because as God, his riches are never exhausted. They're inexhaustible. You know, when, when people talk about, you know, Jesus just being a good man and not God, if Jesus was just a good man, and he did live the sinless life, and he died, the only person that he could have paid for is one. But as God, his riches are unending. He died as God to pay for all of us 
one man that we one man died so that we could all be made pure because his riches are inexhaustible and then he lavished them on us in all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will what is the mystery of his will the mystery of his will is that he does not want any to perish the mystery of his will is that he wants all of us to come to know Jesus salvation wasn't just for the Jews or one people group salvation was for us all that is the mystery of his will Next, you can say that I am able. Anybody ever feel like they're not able to do something? They feel like they don't have the strength to go on? He says, in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And if you look at the verses right before that, in 11 and 12, it says, not that I, Paul says, not that I speak for want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to, long to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have the secret of being filled, going hungry, both having abundance and suffering and in need. Paul's saying that no matter what comes against me, I can get through it. I can make it through, whether I have an abundance or I have a lack, whether I'm full or whether I'm hungry, because it's Christ who strengthens me. It's not the abundance that strengthens us. You know, when we're going through a good season in our life, if we hang our hat on that good season, it'll eventually fail. It'll eventually stop, and then what are we left standing on? But no matter what season you're in, if you're standing on Christ, then you will get through it with His strength no matter what. Our ability to achieve has nothing to do with our internal strength. Our ability to be successful has nothing to do with our eternal strength. And it's actually in our weaknesses that we are the strongest. You remember when Paul said that when I am weak, then I am strong? Because when Paul operated in his weakness, there was no doubt that it was God moving. You know, when you're, when you're working in something that you're not good at, it's no doubt that God's moving through you. But when you're doing something that you're really good at, how easy is it to go, oh, it's me doing this. You get a little puffed up. Your head gets a little big. Oh, I'm good at this, so I, I did it. And we forget that it's even God that gave us the ability to do that. Hmm. So just recall, remember, that even when something seems overwhelming, that Christ will get you through it. Because the truth is, becoming a Christian, and I, I think it's, it's something we people sometimes get this idea in their head that, that it's, uh, as soon as you're a Christian, it's all lollipops and gumdrops from here on out. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing bad going to I'm a Christian, so nothing ever bad will happen to me. But the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. We're still going to have times as a Christian. The difference is, is that we now have a power and strength inside of us to overcome and to get through these things that we never had before. You know, I look at when my dad died, I can't, I can't even fathom how people make it through deaths in their lives if they don't have Jesus. It, it absolutely blows me away because the fact that I know that I get to see my dad again in heaven one day, I know he was saved, that's what got me through, that strength that Jesus gave me, knowing that, that this wasn't the end. If you don't have that, I absolutely don't understand how you get through that. It actually blows me away. But in Christ, we have strength to make it through anything. We are able, and we are strong. And in Romans 8.37, we find out that, that I am more than a conqueror. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So to give a little context, what he's talking about in verse 11, I'm sorry, in verse 35, a couple verses before this, he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
And that pretty much covers all the bad stuff that can happen to you in this life. Tribulation, distresses. But he says, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. And the word whelm, you know what the word whelm means? Whelm just means to submerge or to, to you know, it's like when they put uh, uh, something in water. If you put a, a garment in a, a dye, you whelm it in that, and it's completely covered. And uh, to submerge or engulf the, and to overcome utterly. And that's just a whelm. Overcome utterly is actually a definition that I found for whelm, and that's just regular whelming. Overwhelming is even more so. I mean, to, that's like taking taking something, instead of just dipping somebody in the ocean, that's like dragging them to the bottom. I mean, we're seriously getting it done. There's no doubt that that person is covered and completely engulfed in what they're doing. You know, and that's, that's what uh, this, this imagery is using. In all these things, when life comes against us, we overwhelmingly conquer through the blood of Jesus, through him who loved us. It's not like we're getting through by the skin of our teeth, you know. It's not like we're just barely, I mean... When we, when we go against the enemy, these things come in our life, it's like a Michael Bay movie. I mean, it's not something small. I mean, we got explosions. I mean, we're tearing it up, overcoming. Explosions, cars flying everywhere, fireworks, missiles, gunshots. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We're not just getting by. You know, the enemy is completely defeated in your lives if you're a believer. If you will just stand on the authority that you have over him. And when he comes to you, you say, no, I am more than a conqueror in him who loved me. Next we find out that I am strengthened and I am qualified. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of his will, we talked about that earlier. His will is that none should perish. His will is that you would prosper, that you would have every one of your needs met. You can actually look at Jesus and see that he's perfect theology. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So we look at Jesus' life, and we can understand what God's will is for our life. God, he wanted the, the hungry fed. He wanted the, the, the poor taken care of. He wanted you to be free and redeemed. He wanted all those things that were holding you down and crippling you to be torn away. And he wanted everyone to come to, to God through him. It says, then, so you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bring fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This walking in a manner pleasing to the Lord is just walking, trusting him. If you will just trust God in your everyday walk in everything, then you are walking in a manner worthy of him, that you will be pleasing to him. You will bear fruit if you trust him in everything that you do. And he will give you the strength. It says right here that you are strengthened. In verse 11, you are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might to do all these things. You are strengthened to bear fruit. You are strengthened to increase in the knowledge of God. And it's according to his glorious might. His might is not limited like ours is limited. You know, there's, there's only so much that a, that a person can do in our own strength. If you go out there and start lifting weights, when you start off, you can't lift that much. You know, you can't, you can't bend. When I first started lifting weights in high school, I was, bent, was like throwing the 35s on the sides or, or the 45-pound plates. It's 135, and I was barely doing it. And by the time I got out of high school, I was doing somewhere around 250. And then and, in the military, I, was, I think the highest I ever lifted was 365. But there was a limit. I mean, that was my, I never got any stronger than that. The, my might was limited at that. And then 
We see here, though, that His glorious might is not limited. Your strength comes from Him. You know, with the strength of God flowing through you, you can pick up two of those bars and fling them across the room if that's what God, if that's God's will for your life to do that. I mean, we, we hear that all the time. Have you ever heard of, of, of little kids picking up cars so their parents can get out from underneath it? You know, that's the kind of power we're talking about. When God's moving through you, there are no limits. And the last thing I want to look at is it says that... Uh, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I don't know if, if you're like me, but there's been times that I feel like that I'm not qualified. I feel like that I'm not a good enough, uh, particularly as in this role, sometimes I feel like I don't, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know enough of what I need to know to be able to minister to people. I don't feel like I'm a good enough speaker you know, when we get up there and do worship, I don't always feel like I'm, I'm, I'm the best singer, and I'm not, I know I'm not the best guitar player. And, and, but the truth is that, that it's not what I can do that qualifies me for the kingdom of God. He qualified me in His Son. So you can return to the devil with that. I'm strengthened, and I'm qualified by Jesus Christ. Next, we find out that we are victorious. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious over sin. You need to tell yourself that, that you are victorious. You know, these things that we're talking about today, I mean, this is something, I sent you that email with the scriptures, write these down, read them to yourself. That'll build faith inside of you. So the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to have faith build in your heart? I tell you what, when I prepared this message, you know, I've, I've read all this stuff before and I've got a revelation of it in my heart, but I'm preparing this message and I'm like, I'm going to do a, I'm going to preach an identity. I want people to know who they are in Christ. And I got excited as I'm writing this. You know, it's just my heart starts beating as I'm like, man. And I wish I could use, as I'm looking at all the scriptures I found that shows who you are in Christ, I had to cut it off because we'd be here all morning if I wanted to keep going. But I'm getting excited as I read all this. And I'm like, man, you know, because I haven't read and focused on it. You almost forget. I mean, even it excites me that I can recall that I'm victorious over everything that comes against me. You know, even as a pastor, We've got to keep reading our word. We've got to keep reading this stuff. We're not, uh, I have to keep moving forward in order to, to operate in the power of God just the same as, as you guys do. And, man, I'm hoping that when you're, we're going through this, that you're getting excited too as you begin to realize who you are. And, and you know, you were thinking, man, I feel like I'm being defeated. I feel like there's this, there's this thing I'm fighting right now that I cannot get through it. It's like every time I try, I try to do the right thing and I fail. I want you to know that it's not us trying to do it, but we are victorious. It says the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Isn't that an odd statement how the law, which came as a good thing, actually gave power to sin? And it's that covetousness one that's the weird one that kind of shows it. Because we all know that they're lying and stealing and killing. I mean, everybody knew that that's a sin. The, the Jew, Jewish people didn't have any idea when, when God said, all right, you want to be righteousness, here's what you have to do. But covetousness, I wonder if that caught them off guard. You know, and, and the funny thing is the law, even though uh, the law itself wasn't bad, 
but the law actually gave power to covetousness as a sin because now people recognize what it actually was. And that's what he's talking about here. And the sting of death is sin. Sin is actually what caused death, but we are victorious through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one, I mean, whenever, whenever you're having problems, when you're struggling with something in your life, you know, we talked about the first one, 2 Corinthians 5.17. says that I am brand new, that if anyone is Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed, behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, say that one to yourself. And this is another one, whenever, whenever the world's coming against you, that, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And don't say us, say me. When you're reading these promises of God, insert yourself into them. But thanks be to God who gives me the victory through my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Next, I am, I am born of an incorruptible seed. In 1 Peter 1, 2, 1, 23, and I use the New King James Version, they translate it as is incorruptible, incorruptible. Uh, in the New American Standard Bible, which I normally read from and preach from, it says imperishable. But I, I like this, this idea of, of incorruptible. And it says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know, when we're born in the natural world, when we're born you know, on your birthday, you were born in a corrupted state. You were born broken. We actually, you know, people, people seem to think that, that kids learn how to be bad as they grow older, but we're actually not. We're born broken. It's like the, the 10-year-old boy in England who, I don't know if you guys read the story, but 10 years old, and he, he abducted a 2-year-old boy, drug him out in, the, out in, the, in the, the field or forest somewhere, and killed him at 10 years old. By 10 years old, you're not learning that stuff. We're, we are born corrupted because of the fall. But it says we are now born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. You know, when, when we are made new, we are made brand new in Christ. This lasts forever. You know, it doesn't weaken over time. It doesn't degrade. It doesn't become slowly corrupted over time. But, but it's, it's eternal. We are born of an incorruptible seed. And it's the same with the Word of God. It says, through the, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. The Word of God is incorruptible and stands forever. It'll never change. It'll never be devalued. It's always the truth. And it always will be. That'll never change. And when you contrast that with the words of man, and I'll give you an example, uh, our founding fathers... When they when they dealt with the separation of church and state, how many know that when they when they brought that up, brought that into to be, it was to protect the church, not to protect the government. It was to protect the the church from the government, not to protect the government from the church. When they put that in place, they didn't mean that we don't want church in government. We don't want religion in government. We wanted to keep government out of our religion, so that because what was happening at the time in England, you were only allowed to be whatever the the government said you were to be. That's the religion you had to be, and 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 that that was it. But we see today that that these these men's words over time have been corrupted. And, it's, and today, the, the, we seem to think the idea, and when I say we, I mean as a country, not, not us in this room, that the, the country seems to think that it's freedom from religion and not freedom of religion. Now, we can see how the words of man get corrupted over time, and they're twisted and changed, but the word of God will never be corrupted. It will never change. The spirit inside of you, that seed inside of you that you're born again of will never change. Amen? Next, you can, tell, you can tell the devil that I am loved. In Romans 1.7, it says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called is saints. You know that you are the beloved of God. I remember when I first started attending church, 
uh, Pastor Mike used to refer to us as beloved. And when he would preach, he would say, beloved. And I always thought that was weird. Beloved, where is he getting that from? But what he was saying is that you guys are beloved by God. We are the beloved. God loves us with a never-ending, uncompromising, never-diminishing love. And it is so much greater than we can imagine. If you got up every morning and just said, He loves me, He loves me, He loves me, every morning just told yourself that, you would have a breakthrough in your life as you begin to, anytime anything's going wrong, He loves me, He loves me, you would have breakthrough in your life if you would just get that deep inside your spirit. And then he says, Call this saints. How many of you thought that saints can only be elected by the Catholic Church and you had to meet all these criteria? I was actually reading the criteria to become a saint. It's actually, it's actually amazing anybody becomes a saint because the stuff doesn't actually work the way that it works. But one, you have to do a miracle while you're alive. And then after you die, you have to do like two more miracles that can be... Or it's, it's, I know after you die, you have to do miracles, which is pretty incredible since if you're a Christian, when you die, you go to heaven, or you go to, if you're not, you go to hell. So, and, and Catholics, are, I believe, are Christians. They, as long as they believe in Jesus, they're going to heaven, but they're not doing miracles after they die. But that's, there's, there's this body that comes and says, oh, after they died, a miracle gets done, and, and then there's a board that comes together. And, and once you meet all these criteria and you hit all the check boxes, then we'll call you a saint. But you know, Paul had it figured out well before then. If you're beloved of God and you're a Christian, you're a saint. That is your identity. You are a saint. You're either a son of disobedience or you're a saint. That's your two options. And when you accept Christ into your life, you are a saint. Amen? And this is an identity. And like I said, identity is what determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. And if you understand that you are a saint and you get that in your spirit, you understand that I'm beloved by God, that I'm a saint, that will influence every single thing that you do. And it won't be just, uh, you, won't, you know, there's going to come a time when you don't even have to tell the devil who are you. He's not even going to bother asking. He knows. He can see it in your life. He can see who you are by what you do. Because that is the fruit of, of God working inside of you. Amen. And finally, the last one we're going to look at is in John 1, 12 through 13. And like I said, this is the last one we're going to look at. But there is uh, a multitude of scriptures that talks about who you are in Christ. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Matter of fact, if you want, just do a... a, a Joyce Myers has a good article. If you just, just uh, Google, who am I in Christ, and read the article by Joyce Myers, she's tons of scriptures that talk about who you are, an incredible resource. Um, but there's just so many of them that talk about who we are in Christ. So while this is uh, the last one we're talking about, it's definitely not the last one in the Bible. Um, but you can say, I'm a child of God. In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. When you receive Jesus Christ, it is your right to be a child of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. It was not, had nothing to do with, with anything we did in our, our own power, not of our own flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You are a child of God because that is the will of God in your life. When you accepted Jesus, you were made a child of God. And as a child, just like in our, in our world, in our society, that if you're a child, that when I die, everything will go to my children. That inheritance gets passed down to them. 
just like that, the, the inheritance of the saints, the inheritance of everything that God has, is passed on to us. And it's just like in our, in our world today that, that uh, my house, even though it's mine right now and it will be the inheritance of my children, how many know that my kids have free reign in my house? My kids can use my cups. They can use my silverware. They can have my food. They can use my TV. They sleep in my house. They sleep in my beds because it is their inheritance. As my child, they have all these benefits. And the same thing as a child of God. We have free access to his inheritance. You know, you see in the story of the prodigal son that the, when the prodigal son came back, the, the, young, the, the son that stayed home was all hurt. But the, the prodigal son came back and his dad threw him a feast and gave him a robe and put a ring on his finger. He says, Dad, he wasted everything that you give him. You know, you've never had a feast for me. You've never had a party for me. You've never killed the fattened goat for me. And he said, Son, while you were with me, everything that I had was yours. It was yours the whole time. You just never took advantage of it. So let's understand that as a child of God, that inheritance that he has is ours. And we can take advantage of it. We have full reign of it. So I hope today as we've gone through this, you begin to see who you are in Christ. You know, my, my, uh, my ultimate thing is, is, is when somebody asks who you are, I hope now you can say, well, how much time do you have? Because I just spent 45 minutes telling you who you are, and I just broke the tip of the iceberg. You know, and the truth is that the world's going to come at you and ask you who you are. But you tell them, I am victorious. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm strengthened. I am loved. I'm a child of God. I'm born of an incorruptible seed. I have Christ living inside of me. And that's what you tell them. Amen.